This episode of Instant Speed is brought to you by TCG Player. Uprising is the newest draftable set of Flesh and Blood available for sale on June 24th. Filled with fiery ninja attacks, summoning phoenix flames, invoking fierce dragons, or flinging chilling arcane damage towards unsuspecting opponents, this latest set is a high-powered addition to the world of Wraith. Kickstart your journey with the legendary Dragon Collection, exclusive to TCG Player, and score two boxes of Uprising, all three unique dragon-themed sleeves, an exclusive full art promo card, and the Sleek Collector Box. These bundles will sell out fast and are only available at TCG Player. Don't get mired by frostbite. Use the link in the description and pick up yours before the draconic fire burns up your opportunity to own this exclusive collection. Use the links in the description to support the podcast and pick up your boxes of Uprising or score that exclusive bundle before they turn to ash. This is the Instant Speed Podcast, episode number 36, brought to you by FabDB.net, your premier source for deck building tools, collection management, simulated booster drafting, and oh boy, Uprising is around the corner, ladies and gentlemen. I just got back from Las Vegas, Nevada, where I got to play in the Uprising premiere. What an amazing event. The cards are awesome. So if you want to practice those simulated booster drafting, if you want to go ahead and make some of those decks, fabdb.net is the place to go upgrade your account you will not regret it ladies and gentlemen this is episode 36 our guest today is none other than mr james white i'm not going to waste time with too much news because we want to get to the goodness that is the creator of flesh and blood but i gotta say thank you again to our patreon members thank you very much to our t3s that would be logan p josh l static panic Caleb, Michael H, Ryan K, Kirk B, Tom R, Alaric C, Roger, and Andy T. You guys are awesome. So thank you so much. If you want to support the podcast for as little as $1 a month, you can go ahead and give us a pat on the back. Lots of cool perks. Go to patreon.com slash instantspeedpod. Friends, our guest today is Mr. James White. All the concerns, gloves are off. Let's get to it. All right, you heard me talk about it. I was in Las Vegas, and going on all around the world this past weekend was the Uprising premiere event. We got our hands, our grubby little mitts, on all of the cool Uprising cards. I played a lot of Fi, and it was awesome. I got absolutely dunked on by Icelander in one of my matches, but dear goodness me, you want to see these cards in action. So why don't you go to fabdb.net, upgrade your account to premium, ladies and gentlemen. I promise you, you will not regret it. Head on over there, go take a look at all the cool cards, start theory crafting, put stuff together. It is the place to be. Again, fabdb.net. You will not regret it. The Instant Speed Podcast is so honored to welcome back a man who needs no introduction, but we're going we're gonna to give it to him anyways, because, well, frankly, it's just part of the package deal. And Mr. James White, the creator of Flesh and Blood, and James, my man, I mean, uh, you're, you've basically, you're on the show now. Uh, a little less hair, but a lot, a lot wiser, as we just kind of came off of the pro tour. So how are you feeling? What's good, man? Like, talk to me, brother. Dude, I'm feeling fantastic. We're pumped up here. Uh, look, coming off the incredible highs of the Pro Tour, um, you know, it exceeded all expectations, to be honest. Uh, just an incredible, incredible turnout. Um, and look, we had to come back down to ground uh, in New Zealand, uh, find our feet again and just get back get back in the in the groove, um, you know, on our, on our next product. Obviously, we've had the Uprising launch as well, which has been like an incredibly successful uh, marketing campaign and just so much love. Uh, from the community towards uprising uh, which has been fantastic to see um just yeah so grateful for all the content creators that partnered with, with us to do the previous season and i think it was our best one yet um but yeah so there was that and obviously just yeah back in the tank making the next uh the next product um and things are looking good man we're feeling good here oh well, everybody else is feeling good again coming back from las vegas just recently i arrived home yesterday and uh, the, the, you got that 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 post event depression that everyone's kind of feeling, just kind of itching. But we've got pre releases uh, coming this weekend, so everybody's super excited. But let's just uh, wheel it back a little bit to the Pro Tour. I want to talk to you a little bit about the Pro Tour. It was essentially the biggest event uh, up until that point. It was what everything has been worked for, and and a lot of the 
the the the sentiment of everybody is the realization that hey this this is something that James has essentially been working for for eight nine years it is this culmination to this event so in your eyes you mentioned that it was a great event but was it was it a success in your uh, estimation the Pro Tour in New Jersey how would you evaluate that event overall? Uh, yeah, it, it exceeded expectations when we're looking at the event weekend as a whole. Um, I mean, like, there, there was, there's only a very small number of things which were upsetting, one of them being that we had to turn people away who had travelled uh, from near and far because there literally wasn't a table or chair left in the venue. Um, but I would say that uh, pre-registrations were open for about three months, so if you are looking to come to Leo or, or any of the future big events like the, the World Champs, like, please do pre-register to lock in your spot. Um, but yeah, look, the Pro Tour, 25 countries represented, seven countries in the top eight, um, just some incredible games played out uh, on stream. Um, just the, the diversity of people there was incredible. Um, just the, the love for the game and, um, you know, support for the community and, and for each other uh, that was just radiating throughout the room was just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, it was very humbling, very touching just to be part of that. And uh, to have that opportunity to just be on the ground and connect with the fans and, you know, hear the stories, man, just so many incredible stories about how flesh and blood has, you know, brought people together and forged new friendships and opened new doors for people and helped them get through COVID and just like so many different stories. And, you, you know, pretty much the entire weekend, all I did was just talk to people. Um, so I, I heard a lot of stories and it was really touching just to, to see how this game has become more than a game. It's become a really important part of people's lives. That's great. And you being there was a major part of that. And you and I had, you know, we had a lot of time just privately as well as just amidst everybody. And one of the things that you mentioned to me was that after on that third day, I mean, there's that picture that I tweeted out of just that you taking in the final match. And a lot of people are like, man, like James looks wiped. And, and you were because you were out there signing like crazy meeting people. And you mentioned to me, uh, you know, how you're you're not, you're not used to this necessarily. This is not something that you're necessarily accustomed to. You're, you're possibly naturally an introvert. Is this your first snapshot of, hey, like life has changed. Things are different. I'm famous now amidst this community, amidst this genre, amidst this sort of thing. It's awkward to say, trust me, I know, because when people come up to me at events and they're like, hey, can you sign like my deck box for my playmat? I'm like, why? You know, like it's just, I'm like, oh, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm just like everybody else. But is this something that you've had to digest and maybe come to terms with that you're no longer just Joe Schmo, you're James White, the creator of Flesh and Blood. Um, well, I just look at myself as just a, a regular old gamer, to be honest. I'm just a, a, a dude who likes to play games and took it a little bit too far. <laughs> and here we are. Um, but yeah, I think just, I, I was just wiped out at Pro Tour, as you said, it was it was very over, overwhelming. I was just pretty much running on adrenaline the whole weekend. Um, but I think it is really important just to be out there and, and connected with the community and with the fans. And uh, I mean, probably one of the other things that I, I wish could be different about the Pro Tour is that I just had more time to give to the fans. Um, and, you know, I, I could have spent more time with, with each each person and just had a deeper conversation or, or a longer moment with them but i mean as you saw like the it, it was immense the the amount of people that just wanted to um you know have a chat with me and, and share their stories and you know take their photos get things signed and uh look i hope i did my best to, to um honor and respect all of the, the fans that were there and wanted to to come and meet me and um i'll continue to do the same at other big events in the future with you know i'll be at leal and the world championship later this year um and it means a lot to me and but I think it's important to, you know, stay humble and maybe that's a very New Zealand thing as well. Um, we, we're quite down to earth people down here. And, um, but yeah, it was kind of out of my comfort zone, but, you know, I did my best to step up and just put myself out there. And yeah, like I've said many times, uh, doing your best is all you can ever do. So it's, it's, it is, it's essentially just putting in the effort and what a lot of people are maybe not, um, understanding is the fact that I think you're only slated to maybe sign cards for about an hour or two a day, which essentially stretched out to sometimes four or five to accommodate everybody. And uh, so big ups to I you. Think again. It was more like all day. 
<laughs> it, it was it was more like from the minute I walked in the door until we left in the evening. That was pretty much what it became, and that was cool. I was I was fine with that. It was like you're running for president. It was just you're coming in there, and everybody's just like, you know, sign this, kiss this baby, do this, you know, endorse the like. It was it was incredible. And again, thank you so much. And uh, what another little tidbit that people don't understand is that at the end of it all, after Sunday. When uh, I had asked you, I think once I said, listen, you know, if you do get a moment, I have a few things I'd like for you to sign for me. And uh, it just never came to it. And, and at the end of Sunday, as we're all walking away, you came and you found me and you're like, hey, you, you know, punk, get over here. You know, I'm not signing one more damn thing except for you. And then you came and you signed my cards. And so that's a nice little, uh, you know, means a lot to me. So I, I do appreciate that. And, it, you know, you do care. And it showed because for nine to 10 hours a day, you were. You were on, and it's not easy. And sometimes, especially for somebody who's the the focal point when you don't want to be, when the focal point should be the gameplay. There you are, and just giving back, and that means a lot. So thank you for that. And that you're, you're very welcome. No, I, I see that I would, and uh, you know, you're, you're very welcome. I had to do it. Um, uh, one thing I would just say on this topic, though, like you know, I can't, I might be the guy who's sort of up there on the center stage and getting all the, you know, adoration or whatever, but I, I do want to say that, like, what happened in New Jersey is the culmination of the work of many, many people at Legend Story Studios. Um, and, like, I, what what I see in New Jersey sort of really uh, symbolizing is the validation of a lot of work from a lot of people to create what flesh and blood is. Um, and, you know, I, I do want to acknowledge I have a fantastic team of people around me. Flesh and Blood would not be what it is without the brilliant people who make up Legend Story Studios, from our game developers to our creative team, uh, you know, to our writers, to the people who are organizing these OP events, to the people who are pushing the content out on our website, and which is uh, really significant for building those, those communities and getting, you know, those stories told on a day-by-day -day basis. Um, you know, even just, you know, to the people who are, who are in our operations department, you know, getting product to wherever it needs to be in the world. Like, there's just a lot of moving parts to, to make Legend Story Studios home and to get, you know, fish and blood out to the fans and to to, to support them with organized play and, you know, through that whole process um, of product creation. And um, so, yeah, I do just want to take a, a minute to just acknowledge that it's not just about me. I might be the guy who's, uh, you know, under the limelight, but there's a lot of people at, at legend story studios who do deserve to have just as much you know credit and um uh you know appreciation from from the community as well many of whom i've met and are, are excellent people and hard hard working people so cheers to them for sure um next bit here before we get into the, the you know the little bit of the harder stuff because uh when i i, I tweeted out and, and put out the word that you'll we're going to be on the podcast and I think I received over 150 questions. So we're, we're not going to get to all of them by any means, but we're going to get to the, the, the nitty gritty shortly. But we just want to talk real quickly about the uprising premiere, which um, I've been to premieres uh, or I've been to releases and such like that. And many of them have felt merely as just outlets to get your hands on the product ahead of schedule. This didn't feel like that. This truly felt like a celebration. How did you look to kind of, how did you want to envision something like the Uprising premiere? I didn't. I wasn't at the Tales of Aria premiere, but I was at this one, and that's the vibe I got, and that's the vibe that I felt was felt by most others around me. That the upright, like the the uprising aspect of it, the gameplay, that the acquiring the cards, having them in your hands, was just you know secondary to the fact that we're all here to to get the next chapter of what we love so much. Was that the mission? Was the mission for these premiere events? to be more celebratory or were they more to be more gameplay oriented? Absolutely. It's about the celebration. I mean, that's why the, the, the world premiere itself is like on the Friday afternoon, uh, Friday evening. And, you know, and then we put a, a, a calling, um, you know, with the team blitz format over, over the actual weekend, because, um, first of all, we don't want to undermine the pre-releases, which are running all across the world this weekend. Like we want fans getting into stores across the world to play pre-release this weekend and not just like, you know, get your entire fix at the world premiere. Um, so I, I hope that it served as sort of like a taster of what Uprising is and get that excitement and that, um, you know, spread across the world that Uprising is a fantastic, you know, product to play seal deck and booster draft with, and then like get into the stores and actually you know, play more of it or maybe play for the first time this weekend. If you didn't get to one of the world premieres, but it's absolutely supposed to be a celebration, um, and also you know, like tying into the the 
dragon theme of uprising um you know honoring the three legendary dragons and for each of those legendary dragons to be tied to the, the, the three different territories that were running these events uh, around the world and just like really pull strongly towards those themes and um do look like looking at the photos that were coming in from over the weekend it was incredible like seeing people turning up to las vegas um uh and uh i think maybe in sydney as well like actually cosplaying as dromai and fire like how fast do these people work to make these costumes like that's incredible um the, so yeah it's, it's i met great Fai. to see the community just like yeah, rallying around to, to, like you say, celebrate the occasion more than just like, you know, get the product and, and, and yeah, like it, it was great. I, th I would say that the world premieres were a, a fantastic success. The format of the, pre of the, uh, of the, the calling events were Team Blitz. And um, I think that I can speak for many people that this was, at least for myself, a pleasant surprise as not as a non competitor, as a, as a competitive player who just, you know, plays in mid-tier events, playing in my first ever calling, believe it or not, was a Blitz event. And I was never, Blitz was never my favorite, but being in a team environment, it made it so much more enjoyable. And uh, even somebody, for instance, like uh, Tarek Patel, the U.S. national champion, he, he, he said, he's like, listen, it's not a question, but please tell James that team events, uh, please make them a more regular thing. And I have to echo that statement as somebody who was flanked by great human beings you know people like uh, my teammates were, were rick from bcw and uh, doa uh, aka eric longquist those were my teammates and it's not like we're we're you know sharks in the field but we had such a great time just practicing having the dynamic and meeting the other teams and the teams that were there were were just as bonded you know there there were themes there was thematic teams there's the all brute team there was the this there's the that and and is there is this going to be something that was this kind of like a sort of a taste test to see if this was a successful event a format that can really be sustainable for future callings uh or or is was it already on the docket that team blitz is here to stay our team our team events something that moving forward you guys are going to dig into more yeah absolutely i think that uh team formats are um that they're a lot of fun and it really just calls to the essence of what Fish and Blood is about, which is, you know, people coming together, you know, grabbing a couple of buddies and going on a road trip together. Like, that's what we're all about. So it just it really um, aligns strongly with our philosophy. And I think that when you pair it up with something like the world premiere, um, it was very intentional that we chose uh, a team's format for to pair up with the world premiere just to, to bring more of that celebratory, like, uh, you know, social fun, uh, type aspect to it like oh it's a calling and there's like prize money and there's gold legendaries or whatever and it's you know it it is a competitive level event but as soon as you make make it about teams it, it does just sort of take that edge off the level of just like cutthroat you know competitiveness i think and um so yes i do think that it has a place uh both for team blitz and for uh team seal deck as well we, we have done that um in, in the past in New Zealand as well, like some some quite big team sealed events. Um as like day the, the the evening before the calling we did it in Auckland a little while back. It was very 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 well received and popular. Um so yeah you can expect more teams events in the future. That's good news. Um and as many people are were at premiere there was many more that who could not make it. And this was a concern that was echoed by many of the people who sent in questions was that uh, it was more of a concern moving forward for just being able to plan around these major events. And the concern was yeah. not necessarily how many events are being planned. It's just that we need more time uh, when it comes to just organizing yeah. things. Digital clients allow you to just plug in from the home. There's no big deal. But when it comes to Vegas, when it comes to yeah. going around the world, knowing when these events are well ahead of time, is this something that you guys are actively working on? Because I believe that the community is definitely aching for lead time on this to get the logistics done and and just decide it's it's plausible it's not plausible here's the location here's the date well in ahead is this something that you guys are actively trying to improve absolutely absolutely um uh we we've heard the feedback and uh like these things happen not because we're like hey we're only going to give people like six weeks notice like that's our strategy to make it difficult for people like of course not but just some sometimes the way that um sort of we've come out of COVID and event availability and other like just challenges and, and pressures like 
it's just put us in the spot where we've been at this moment in time and it's absolutely uh intention to give way more visibility and runway on when the events are going to be so people can plan like people are busy they've got families they've got jobs they need to book travel and time off work and arrange it you know with their spouses or whatever like to, to make these things happen so yeah we understand it and we will be giving more lead time going forward that's good and uh, and we definitely appreciate that and um you know some other uh, games and such offer roadmaps you know like it's it's usually in january or late december they'll be like here's here's what's going on in, the, in during the year and i understand that that's not necessarily the most plausible approach when you need to lo- lock down venues and and travel around but is a roadmap something that can potentially be on the radar uh how far out are you guys able to plan something along this line is lss able to give us uh, uh, you know, uh, at least the majors, like our, the Pro Tours and Worlds, is that something that you guys are able to lock down and, and really, you know, communicate as early as January for a particular year? Um, I think that that's, that's something that we need to be working towards. Um, like, you know, we're a small company that's growing very fast as well. And with that, you know, like our team is growing very quickly. And uh, as we, you know, bring on more, uh, experts in these different areas, like, and we're able to resource up. You know, we'll be able to start doing these things. Uh, you know, to a to a higher standard, or, or with you know more, like lead time, for example, with these events. It's just, um, you know, that is one of the constraints. It's just like manpower. It's really, really, really hard putting on a global series of uh, premier events. So, uh, look, that's just being honest with you. It's been one of our constraints up until this point of time. Is um, we just need to resource up our, uh, our organized play team so that we can get further ahead of the eight ball uh, in this area. Um, so yeah, we are getting there. And uh, look, Legends Ratio has some incredible people around me, um, and there's you know more joining us all of the time. And as we you know continue to invest into areas like organized play, which is obviously just a critical, fundamental part of what the Flesh and Blood experience is, I think that you'll see us doing a, a better job um, in many areas. Wonderful. Um, last time we spoke here, there, y- y- we were discussing the shift away from first edition to un- end and limited, uh, the quote unquote Fab 2.0, which kind of took off like wildfire, frankly, yeah. the whole. Co- Can I ask you something real quickly? <laughs> you mentioned Fab 2.0 yeah. on this on the show and that people kind of ran with that. And then there was the announcement of quote unquote Fab 2.0. Was it always Fab 2.0 no. or did it just did you guys just decide to call it Fab 2.0 after people started referring to the interview that we had the first time yeah, it really was because of the interview like uh it just <laughs> okay. people picked it up and ran with it so i was like yeah let's lean into this <laughs> yeah i love it because people were like no this is there's a lot to this like they, there's clearly i'm like i think that it was just kind of a throwaway statement that you guys are just kind of pumping up so uh i'm glad that that, that was cleared up I mean, for me it was always like fab phase two but fab 2.0 is just cooler and the community picked it up and ran with it so yeah just uh Thank you, Matt, for uh, bringing that one to life. <laughs> Ooh, leg- legacy secured, baby. Love it. <laughs> uh, next question is kind of on that same, it was on that same train of first edition versus unlimited. Um, it has to do with distribution. But first, before we get to that, I want to ask you, you know, it is still a little early to tell, but do you do you feel like the shift away from first edition to end uh, unlimited to the current, uh, you know, system, the current, uh, you know, print pattern or whatnot is is working do you think it's successful i particularly think it's good i think that there's been a pretty good um reception from the community both the player base and the collector base i think they're happy uh do you think that this is kind of a functional way to start printing cards in new sets it's absolutely the right decision uh for us at this point in time um so i think it's going to take um you know, some amount of time for the industry to, and for the community to to realize the impact that it has. Um, it might take a year, it might take more, but it's definitely the correct decision. Great. And the other issue that uh, this has been tossed my way by many, many people, especially, and look, I can only speak for those whom I, I was in contact with, but uh, especially, again, uh, intimately involved with some of the LGSs here in, in Canada. I mean, I, I love Harry Tarantula. I'm wearing their stuff right now, but I feel like there's there's distribution issues, and this has been 
sent my way by various different people across various different countries that mm-hmm. um, distribution was an issue in before because first edition came out, people bought it out and it was a problem. And then there was a chasm between buying that and having access to unlimited. This is different because now the, 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 the stopgap, the issue, the speed bump rather is that some of the smaller LGS, as I say smaller, but the, like the brick and mortar mom and pop shop styles, you know, the people who put their blood and sweat into that, those places are allocated, let's say, you know, 12 to, you know, maybe 10 cases uh, of, and that might be even a higher up where others are getting 50 to, to 100 cases. And it's a distribution issue. And I, you know, this isn't necessarily a, a criticism towards LSS, but is there anything in the works from LSS or any involvement that you guys can maybe, you know, dip your toe into to sort of rectify or correct some of this discrepancy and, and add a little fairness? Because the, the sentiment I get and that's being communicated to me is that there's it's immensely challenging for stores that really the heartbeat of the store is flesh and blood for the most part but they can't they can't support it because they're not getting product and that from what i'm hearing is a distribution issue whereas other stores and not that these stores are bad stores but they're getting 10 to 20 times the the allocation when they're not even necessarily supporting armories or anything in that regard. Is there any thoughts that you have in terms of addressing this or maybe getting involved and, and you know, throwing some weight behind uh, support for these smaller stores? Yeah, like this is a really, really key issue for us at the moment. And uh, I can tell you that we have, um, we have a plan for addressing this going forward. It probably isn't going to... Um, we're past the point of no return for uprising like what the allocations are is what they are for wave one but we're very aware that there's an issue here and as we go forward with future releases there's going to be much uh more input on the allocation process from lss through to our distributors to to get product into the market for release day so one of the things that um is going to be key for this is looking at the op activity so obviously we have the the gem system and you know, we, we have all of that data for what stores uh, are running OP and the frequency and the number of players in their local community. Um, and then that's going to be like, you know, pulled through to, to create those uh, those release date allocations so that it is more, uh, the, the quantity or product that the stores are getting is more reflective of the size of their local community. Um, we... Legends Roshios has like account managers who are engaged with the stores like every day. Like we've got an entire department of account managers. So we we are very connected to you know to the, the front line of, of the industry. We're getting the feedback from the stores. I, I, what you just explained to me, we we know that this is happening, we know that it's an issue. Um and that's yeah, that's really the step that we're taking is instead of like passing over the decision of of how release day stock is getting allocated. Instead of passing that over to the distributor, we're basically going to be bringing this in-house for for the next release and future releases, and providing that guidance to the distributors on, on where the stock needs to to be to support release day. Um, I can tell you that as far as the distribution goes, there are other uh, challenges and constraints for uprising in particular. Um, like I, I tell you, hundred percent of the stock which is in the US is out in the supply chain for release day. It's not like we're holding stock back. The distributors aren't holding stock back. Everything that is in the US is is, is out. Um, the difficulty is that upstream with our printers at Cardamunde, these guys have encountered uh, some real difficulties with sourcing like raw materials. You may have heard it in other parts of the industry as well, like paper supply has become a, a, a real constraint. and. Uh, it has affected manufacturing not only for fish and blood but for other other products in our uh, category as well um and you know sometimes these these things things like the release date for uprising is set you know way in the past and, and you know when you lock on things like a world premiere series around the world it's like and you've got venues booked under contract it's not like you can just go and shift the release date of uprising you know by two or three or four weeks or whatever to realign with things that happen in the manufacturing schedule because of you know like paper supply all of a sudden gets disrupted and it's like oh well 
there's been like a three-week delay to you know stock coming off the line you know at the factory like once contracts are in place for a world premiere and it's like okay well world premiere is here pre-release needs to be the week after and the product needs to get into the stores for the week following that like you're just kind of like locked in hard locked in um and the you know the consequences is that there just isn't as much uprising in the us and other parts of the world on uh at this point in time than we had forecast or or expected or needed to be to be frank so you are going to see constraints in the in, in the market all across the world when it comes to release day stock and you know like i i understand that some people are going to be frustrated that some stores are going to be pissed um and i do apologize I, and this is quite separate to the allocation issue but um like we work really really hard to manage the supply chain and um you know like it's somebody's full-time dedicated job to be doing that at LSS and he's you know he works incredibly hard um uh, he's a you know he's a dude who's at the office at 5 30 in the morning every single day monday to friday and he you know busts balls to get stuff around the world where he needs to be on time but sometimes things are just out, out of outside your control um like paper not being available like you know you're a printer you should have paper well sometimes things happen where even a printer can't get paper or cardstock um so just yeah look we're doing our best and we know there's some issues and um we very much like the organized play thing of giving more lead time it's it's one of our really key objectives at legend story shooters uh at the moment is just trying to get more lead time in all areas of the business including things like manufacturing and supply chain so that we have even more buffer built in to accommodate for these kinds of disruptions that happen i don't i don't think anybody's really doubting the fact that you guys work your ass off but like you said you guys bust your balls and, and really you know put the time in people coming in at 5 30 to make sure that things are working the the concern i think a lot of people are maybe now realizing something that i suspected for a while is that you, you guys are your success is almost detrimental to a degree in the fact that you guys are growing like like crazy are you guys do you have that sort of victim of your own success kind of mentality not mentality but do you feel like perhaps you, you know this is just bigger than you anticipated it would be at this point you know is this just a matter of you guys are just trying to catch up to your own success um look we always in planned and intended for fish and blood to become a, a a global game like there was always the vision for this so like we knew what we were getting ourselves in for and you know we've like we we or we, we have a plan and one example is like trying to hire people ahead of the curve it's like not waiting until things are so bad that you then try and like hire someone to like fill the hole it's like you know we're actively out there with our roadmap of like trying to hire people in for these roles that are gonna evolve and and we're going to need like in the future um to try and like front foot some of these issues but um things like supply chain management is again just so often these things are outside your control with just random stuff that happens it, yeah some some of these things you can plan for and you can foresee and you can build in like buffer into your lead times and, and and stuff like that sometimes it just blows out what your reasonable you know estimations are um in some of the some of these uh like key areas of, of running this business like Running a TCG company is really, really complex. Like there's so many elements that have to come together to make this thing hum from, you know, obviously product design, manufacturing, supply chain, event delivery, um, you know, working with your domestic distributors, marketing, like there's just so many different elements that have to come together and in, in, in sync to actually create a, a great experience for the end user. So it is, it is complicated, but we have some brilliant people at Legend Story Studios. I'm, I'm very grateful and blessed to have some exceptional talent around me people who have come from other paths in their career um quite different than mine uh for example one of my co-founders he he was a very very senior um had a very senior position at uh, a company called Fonterra which is New Zealand's biggest company it's actually the biggest dairy company in the world and like he comes from a background of understanding what it's like to build organizations that scale up to having thousands of employees and you know having uh like supply chains that span the world um so like we have people who in, in our company who have like very rich experience in areas that i don't have you know for my my path my career path to date um so it's not like we don't know what to do or we don't know what needs to be done it's just hard like the, the simple thing is just just hard to 
to do what we do. And in the most part, I think we're doing a lot of things really, really well. But we're also a group of people, especially the founders of Legends Story Studios, who are always looking for continuous improvement. We're, to be honest, we're never particularly satisfied with anything that we do. We always see the flaws and the and the holes and the rough edges that we need to try and you know strive to improve as we go forward. Um, and I think that's really key for having any successful enterprises, just that sense of well, continuous improvement for sure. But like you can always do better. Like Uprising is a great product, but there's things that could even be better about that. You know, Classic Battles was, well, people seem to like Classic Battles, but there's like major, major issues with Classic Battles that like we 100% need to address and improve as we go forward. And the same with our events and the same with pretty much everything in this business, just like that sense of dissatisfaction that we should be doing better and we can be doing better and we're gonna strive to do better. Um, yeah, that's no, that's that's fine. Well, that's a lot of people need to understand that. I mean, it's it's not it's not clear cut, right? And it's easy to criticize or, or whatnot. But again, the fact that you guys are working on things is always a good stuff. The fact, like, because it's easy to say, like, wait, well, hey, listen, we're 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 doing what we're doing. Trust us. But like the fact that you're able to, you know, elaborate on this is it's it's good for the community to understand that, you know, you guys are aware of of you know, flaws and pitfalls and such, but in continuous improvement that you guys are constantly striving for is how things get fixed. So uh, we definitely appreciate that. Uh, you mentioned earlier cosplay, uh, seeing new characters like Fi and new heroes that are being represented already. I, I at in Las Vegas, seeing the cosplay that was there, uh, first of all, the, 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 the individual who did the, the Guinness What You Need was incredible. That was amazing. I know you saw that one. That was brilliant. I also spent uh, a lot of days of the weekend hanging out with Elaine, Elaine Hammontree, who did uh, Icelander. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. She's awesome. She's awesome, awesome, awesome. And uh, I just want to talk to you a little bit about cosplay and the culture of it. And I know that you were very much more involved on on socials. You kind of you kind of were, you know, hidden away a little bit uh, when it comes to, to social media and such. But this, this, this entire weekend, people were coming up to me and, and just mentioning things like, God, James commented on my on my thing. I'm like, James cares, man. James paying attention. He loves it. And especially the cosplay stuff. How do you how do you react to seeing your characters being portrayed in such amazing ways in the flesh and blood, as it were? These characters like Icelander, like like Guinness, like um, like Fi, the new ones. You know, what what's your reaction to seeing them come to life? Just I love it. It's incredible. And just the quality of, of the cosplaying. Um, that's coming through is is just outstanding. It's just, it's just incredible. Um, like I, I literally had a meeting yesterday talking about how we probably need to be putting more in the in the pot for uh, rewarding these cosplayers because the the first of all the number of people who are cosplaying and just the overall quality of the cosplaying is um, just really exceptional it's above and beyond what i well i get i think we expected when we set out to um you know really acknowledge the cosplay community they, they, they've stepped up and delivered you know in terms of uh of the impact of what this means for the events uh the uh the cosplayers who are showing up to support the event a lot of it is part of the the allure of going to event in the you know going to event live and playing it uh you mentioned that this is something that you want to further support are you trying to integrate cosplay as more of like an official aspect of the card game itself is this sort of um something that you want to have almost equal footing along with the card events themselves is this something that you want to really pump the tires on and and be a focal point as much as a draft event is as much as a battle hardened is is this something that you're going to want to eventually see almost even on an even keel i think it's important that we respect the spirit of cosplay being something which is fun and expressive and not like competitive um so i am mindful about that i think just it it, it adds to the experience of being at at an event and um but what we do want to do is just better acknowledge the fact that like a lot of people are putting in a lot of time uh, to create these cosplay experiences for people. And um, at the moment, yeah, like the the way that we're sort of, uh, I, I guess, administ administering the rewards for that uh, probably 
needs to, well it's not as good as it, as it could be um so there's going to be some changes to run that including just a little bit more or a lot more visibility over sort of uh you know when we're how and what what criteria we're looking for when we're actually giving out the tailors for example or, or other pricing and, and acknowledgements um but yeah like it just i don't want it to turn into something which is like this competitive thing sitting alongside like a competitive you know calling tcg event like that's not the point of it it's supposed to be fun so moving forward the living legend system we finally seen uh you know it being populated uh bravo star of the show is in there you've got viscerai chain is in there as well is after you know it's been a year and a half two years or so the heroes are finally attaining the top of the mountain is is in your estimation is it working as intended is living legend uh does it need any revisions any adjustments is living legend kind of performing and and you know working the way that you envisioned it would um i think it's, it's too early to really see it in action right like we're about to farewell our first two heroes from classic constructed and um like we'll see over the next season how that actually flows through to metagames and, and tournament experiences but yeah absolutely the intention of it is to uh like celebrate and farewell whatever the best performing hero was um from a format and for that to like refresh what the metagames are to allow new strategies and new heroes to to rise to the top so i would say that fundamentally yes it is working as intended um it acted as a safety valve for starvo for example and um you know we're saying goodbye to starvo on the 24th of june and chain you know just he was obviously a lot slower in his progression to living legend but uh chain as a hero put up consistently uh impressive results over the span of you know a year and a bit a year and a half um so yeah look it, it is functioning how it was intended to function the way that the points are being allocated is that perfect maybe maybe not it's something that we're keeping an eye on and we're reviewing and um we'll, we'll see how things sort of pan out over the, the coming seasons and there might be some adjustments that need to be uh implemented just around how points are, are allocated um particularly as the, like the the volume of events that can award living legend points continues to scale up across the world uh, just like the number of new stores that are, are signing up uh you know every week is is yeah it's, it's incredible um you know, dozens of stores signing up every week dozens and dozens and dozens um and you know the just the number of events which make up these seasons whether it's road to nationals progress um or skirmish events like all of, all of these programs just the volume of events it continues to rise as well and um again like coming back to looking at a longer view for what organized play looks like in 2023 for example as we sit down and just start nailing in like where are the callings how many callings you know like how many of the premier level events how many battle hardens like what are the pro tours looking like once we get like a firm handle on uh you know that framework going up 12 or so months we'll be able to better understand well how does that then flow back through to living legend points and like making some forecasts and estimations on how many heroes will actually leave the format relative to how many are like being introduced through product releases so there's like quite a bit of complexity it's certainly a, like a, a a system that has quite a high level of complexity to it but i think when you like take away the complexity and you think about it at it's like most fundamental level the point of it is to remove the most powerful heroes from the format so that a new batch a new wave of heroes can like rise rise to the top and it is doing that and we'll continue to do that as we go forward the other question about living legends real quickly is that uh i'm imagining that there was an intention to have living legend as a format in itself and if that's the case how many heroes is the minimum for you to start firing off that as an actual format if we look back at welcome to wraith when it first came out like there was four heroes and uh and, and in my view like that was a great format like there was a lot of play to that with only four heroes so i think that would probably be the minimum the minimum benchmark um but yeah like we'll have more information about when living legends like as a format kicks off proper 
um, in the coming months. It's Wonderful. definitely a thing, though, and we're looking forward to it. Wonderful. Uh, the other thing that I want to just uh, tap into real quick is uh, future events that are not necessarily calling style events. Um, we talked about team events being awesome, but you had, you and I have discussed a little bit, and I know that this is something that I've beat the drum on is show matches or invitational style. Like, you know, those kinds of fun events that are not necessarily about prestige, but are more so about just showing off the game and having fun themes, uh, you know, fun locations, you know, fun rule sets, uh, spectators and, and things of that nature. Is this something that's on the radar? What can we possibly expect in terms of non-calling style, fun show match style events. Oh, absolutely. Um, look, I, I have a vision to host an invitational in New Zealand. New Zealand's a beautiful country. Um, there's some incredible tourist stuff to do here, but it's just so far away from the rest of the world. Like having the World Championship or a Pro Tour in New Zealand is just like too much of an ask for travelers, especially from Europe, to come all the way down. Even from North America, it's just it's a very long trip. Um, so it's what I think is appropriate to put in New Zealand is something like an invitational, a showcase event, um, and to really like you know lean into the New Zealand experience and and that's something that I, I want to happen. It's, it's, it's going to happen. Um, it's, uh, it's it's on the roadmap. I I don't want to I don't want to talk too much about it at the moment, but I can tell you it's on the roadmap and and. That's probably the first such example of, of this exhibition style event that you'll see come through. Awesome. Stay uh, tuned. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully wrestling themed. Uh, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> uh, the next, uh, the last, uh, the last little piece of discussion before we get to some of the uh, listener questions is uh, worlds. Worlds is on everyone's radar. I know that it was um, it was discussed at the Pro Tour that it would be held in North America. Everybody is so jazzed about it because in in my estimation and a lot of people's opinion as well this is essentially the the top of the mountain when it comes to competitive flesh and blood people are looking at this and saying yeah pro tour is pro tour but being a world champion is in itself quite the crown to to have on your head so the question here james is can you give us any more information about specifically where the event will be held in in north america and finally uh, the format. And just to expand a little bit on the format, um, Dave Rude, a Pro Tour player, great, great person, um, mentioned that really, frankly, if you really want to crown the best player, the format should be mixed. It should be limited and classic constructed. And I tend to agree in that regard. And I think that if you really want to decide who is the real best flesh and blood player, that a draft element should be mixed in there as well. I just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. It nearly certainly is going to be a, a hybrid format. Um, back in my younger years when I used to travel the world, uh, play the game and see the world, you know, I, I got to play at, at Magic World Champs uh, on a number of occasions. And, you know, those those events were uh, typically, you know, three formats, two different constructed formats and then uh, booster draft. And if you were part of the national team, you got to do teams draft as well. So, yeah, like, you know, four, four formats over five days. Um, I have very fond memories of that kind of gameplay. Um, so yeah, look, I agree that if you are the best of the best, then you need to demonstrate it across all of the major formats that exist in the game. And um, that's sort of the intention for, for World Champs. And there'll be details posted pretty soon about uh, when and where World Champs is going to be in the formats. Perfect. But we're, I mean, we're, we're kind of aiming for like November, December, right? It's a, it's an end of the year kind of extravagant. It's November. November, November, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. All right, well, uh, James, that does it for sort of our little more in-depth discussion. I've got some questions from the viewers. I hope you'll stick around for a little bit. Yeah. All right. Yeah, quick fire, let's do it, man. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, BCW Supplies is again sponsoring the Instant Speed Podcast, and I just spent a wonderful weekend in Las Vegas on my team, BCW Rick, GG Doa, the most wonderful teammates, we did pretty good, not going to lie, but you know what? We also had protection against the scary, scary environmental damage and those greasy fingers you got in Vegas when you're playing your cards. So use BCW Supplies to go ahead and protect your cards. Go to bcwsupplies.com, use the code ISP10. That'll get you 10% off your order, all your orders. So those card sleeves, those deck boxes, how about comic books? Got some on the wall, they're protected over there 
with nice little hard cases, etc. Vinyls, coins, the whole nine yards. BCWsupplies.com. Protect. Store. Display. All right, this is the go again section. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to cram as many as I can. Again, we got over 150 people who have essentially thrown questions my way. A lot of them were very similar. I'm going to do my best to cover as many bases. If I did not get to your question, I sincerely, sincerely apologize, friends. But it is what it is. So here is the first question. This one is coming from Roger, a Patreon member of the Instant Speed Podcast. So thank you, Roger. This one says, my question for James would be, why are there still no good generic legendary arms or legs uh, after two supplemental sets? So, you know, you've got uh, Tunic, you've got Skullcap, but no legs or arms that are really good all the way through. Is there any sort of, you know, feedback you can give us on that? Patience. <laughs> Patience is a good... <laughs> It's a good answer. All right. We've got a uh, Jim from at Fab TCG Cards asking, uh, I'd love to know if they have anything planned to help it reinvigorate the armory scene. And he goes on to explain that it's hard to get newer players to stick around because the players who do typically just skyrocket in terms of skill set and and the, the armory scene is dwindling. Is this something on your radar? How do you how would you approach this? Uh, I would like to know what local store they're experiencing that in uh the data that i see is the armory program is thriving uh majoritively across the world um but like I, I would say that you know we've just come off uh you know like the the starvo uh back-to-back -back seasons of uh classic constructed you know it's very dominant and maybe maybe some people are just like over that and that's about to reset we've got uprising coming out and you know starvo saying goodbye so um you know maybe people feel inspired to to come back and, and play with a brand new fresh format um i would say that products like classic battles are an incredible tool for welcoming new players into into a, the community including at armory events um but yeah look what we're seeing across the world is is armory events are, uh, are growing and uh, are continuing to so yeah maybe he can reach out to us uh, uh op at com and let us know what store it is that need some specific support here definitely uh jim's a great guy a patreon member as well but somebody i've met and hung out with this weekend uh uh so uh thank you very much jim this one coming from uh you know dm armada stephen cook is wonderful person first of all the obligatory pirate question is it coming is it not but we can just skip over that james screw that uh <laughs> but the question here is what card or cards are you most proud of it's really impossible to answer that question and if we're looking at the entirety of flesh and blood but uh, if we just let's narrow the scope down and just say uh, what cards am I most proud of from Uprising? Um, because that one's pretty easy. It's it's the dragons, the marvels, the uh, or the invocations, and just yeah, how how I was able to uh, actually execute on my desire to get dragons into our game, but in a way that honors the fact that Fish and Blood is primarily a game of you know like human or human like interaction and combat. Um, and I think that the way that invocations, you know, I was able to design and execute them is is just really elegant. Um, there's a lot of constraints with bringing allies into the game, just in terms of how our cards are templated. Like, for example, if it was a single-sided card and you just played the dragon out from your hand, like now it doesn't have defense value. Like in the bottom right corner, where a defense would be, is like it has the dragon's life. And like, yeah, sure, we could hack up the card frame and it could, you know, have like a life and a defense symbol next to it, but then things start looking ugly and it's just all a bit of a bit of a mess. Like I can tell you we've explored these sorts of things. So like being able to create this interesting um and, and flavorful interaction where you know we've got Dromai who's an ash artist who's able to create these ashes and then transform them into dragons and for that to be the invocation moment like she's invoking the dragon and then when she completes the invocation like the dragon appears and that's like you're flipping over the card on resolution and you get the best of both worlds of having these like cards in your deck that you can actually defend with um but when you play them they like flip into the dragon and you know you have that the life points um and it also meant that we could basically you know have we've got two sides of the card to work with in terms of text box so it meant that the dragons could become marvels because they didn't have like this much text in the box you know they had this much and we could do the beautiful you know full art frames on them 
Those are beautiful cards. Um, next question is from Jimmy James from Twitter asking, can we expect a five intellect hero anytime soon? I don't know about anytime soon, but like it's nearly certain eventually there'll be a five intellect hero. Like we've done a three intellect hero um, for better or worse, but yeah, like it's always an interesting area of design um, playing around with these, you know, base stats on the cards and uh, five intellect comes with a whole bunch of challenges. And, uh, we, you know, we've explored this, this area somewhat over over the years um but we're not at a place where we want to release that onto uh into the wild yet uh this one's coming from taylor morrow on twitter asking is the three hero limited sets the standard moving forward and i know that we, a lot of the discussion again is you, you and i spoke a bit about the whole digging into and sleuthing out of whether there was a fourth hero in uprising which i guess now we've we figured <laughs> out it was not but the, uh the, that was fun following that thread through uh, before the previous season for sure. All of the conspiracy theories and speculation. Um, I, I do enjoy watching the community come up with these these ideas, and there were some really good ideas there as well, particularly the Shiana one. Um, but yeah, look, this is a, actually a very deep question, and we should push that one to a future podcast, Matt, because there's a lot to talk to on that point. I like that. Um, we'll skip through a few here. Uh, one of them, this one's from Ke uh, Kevin Bray or another Patreon member asking, what is the timeline for transitioning the use of uh, ELO for uh, events? And I know that ELO and such is something for Pro Tour that has been uh, asked a lot. So just uh, can you just talk a little bit about the implementation of ELO for Pro Tour? The reason why we, have, we haven't been awarding invitations to the Pro Tour um, based on ELO is that ELO just isn't very accessible in a lot of parts of the world which is why we've expanded the use of ELO over to the in-store programs like Rotary Nationals and ProQuest. Uh, it's just simply to make it accessible. Um, so once we feel like the, like the majority of the world has actually had a reasonable chance to access ELO, then we'll be able to transition over to ELO-based invites for the Pro Tour. Wonderful. Two more. Uh, this one's coming from Collision Point Podcast asking, uh, this one was uh, quite lengthy and it was very a lot of effort put into this one. I, I said I would have to sort of boil this down. Ultimately, the boil down of this question is that when you're designing a card, you basically have a, a sort of a formula, as it were, for evaluating the worth of it, you know, whereas a zero cost, four attack, two or three defense is kind of like the run of the mill for a red. In this case, do you ever is does a, such a formula necessarily exist when it comes to things like implementing a go again or um you know other other kind of on hit effects in that or card draw etc is there a, or is there a formula that you kind of adhere to or or use as a framework when designing cards that certain keywords are have a particular amount of value to them attack value defense value pitch cost etc yeah I mean it's a very simplistic baseline like go again is worth about two resource points so if you look at a card like leg tap compared to critical strike you know like critical strike is a one cost five five three leg tap is a one cost four two that has go again so you're giving up the point of power the point of defense um as like you know your two like your two inputs worth of value to get your go again um so yeah like we do have like a like a, a a cost to power defense and effect uh, matrix or distribution table that sets the baseline for the game system, um, and then sort of your things like generally sit within that and sometimes rise above or dip below depending on what class it is and other complex factors. <laughs> yeah, it's, it it seems like sometimes that it could be easy, but and ultimately it's just it's not straightforward. I would imagine that if it's just a formula, eventually you're going to run out of variables and everything's going to look the same. Uh, last one, James. This one's from Gabe Share uh, from Local Scene over here, asking a very good question here. Are there any rules or principles of game design specific to Flesh and Blood or, or otherwise that you've learned during your lifetime designing Flesh and Blood that you didn't have when you started out? So skill sets or concepts that kind of came to you in the design process from that weren't there from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, this comes back to my point before of just continual improvement continuous improvement and like just this sense that we can always get better like i'm learning stuff every day like i, I learned something awesome just a couple of days ago that i hadn't thought about before 
um, when we were designing the product that's coming out uh, next year. And like, if you're not learning all the time, like you're doing something wrong. And like you, just as soon as you start thinking that you know everything, you, you're just setting yourself up to fail as well. Uh, but like, I will say, like I didn't go to university to become a game designer, right? Like I played games for, you know, like 15 years or whatever, to, or maybe yeah, probably like 15 years of just like playing like a lot of magic mostly, but a lot of different trading card games over over that time. Um, and then decided I wanted to make Flesh and Blood. And like I've said this on other interviews, like Flesh and Blood started out as a piece of shit. Like the game was terrible. And we had to overcome so many, you know, so many challenges with the game system that we thought were insurmountable. And but we did it. Like the important thing is that I'm a very determined person. Like, just you, you gotta, you gotta explore and experiment and push yourself in different directions to try and solve problems and just not give up. You like, there were times when I thought this is not fixable. This is insurmountable. Like maybe some people would have thrown in the towel, but I just never did. I just was determined that we were going to make this thing work. And I spent 10,000 hours, more than 10,000 personal hours before Welcome to Wraith was released to develop the game system. And most, most of the time, there just isn't any substitute for actually just putting in the time and doing the work to make something great. Like that's just the process. Um, but yeah, like I'm learning stuff all the time, man. Just all the time. Uh, maybe a recent example of it is actually the classic battles. Like their product is very, very deliberately designed. Um, and some people who are advanced players might look at that and be like, "What the hell is the point of titanium bauble? Or why do you have uh, sharpened steel?" And then I think it's on guard, which is like the same as sharpened steel, but a cost one like what the hell is going on there like the card's strictly worse yes the card is strictly worse on purpose and the reason why is because classic battles is supposed to be a product which is uh supporting the first play experience and when you're facing down someone attacking you and you're looking at your hand and you're like i have sharpened steel or i, or I have on guard and on guard it does the same thing but it costs more it's strictly worse in every way it makes it really easy to decide what card to defend with i'm going to defend with the worst card it's the same with titanium bauble like titanium bauble only does two things it defends or it pitches like you don't have to start factoring in all these other like variables of what the card could potentially do and when you're comparing titanium bauble to any other blue card in your deck that defends for three titanium bauble is strictly worse than every other instance of a blue defend for three and it becomes really easy to decide what you should defend within that situation so that was probably a quite a recent piece of discovery and learning for me was like actually switching my mindset from this fallacy of thinking that we can never make strictly worse cards to actually realizing that making strictly worse cards has a very specific application which has value which is supporting new players in particular to be able to better and more easily evaluate their hand when deciding what card to defend with well james i, I sincerely appreciate uh your time and everything in your candor here and uh, i have i i have to do this as i do anytime someone's in the know with things and uh call me greedy but is there any kind of little tidbit of leaky information that you can kind of drop on us here something that, that i need that clickbait title come on james you you gotta drop us a little bit of a <laughs> throw me a bone here buddy come on anything that you can you can just toss to us here uh cfm 2.0 like we're doing a lot more to integrate our storytelling with with the product and one of the things that i'm really proud about with uh uprising uh into dynasty is that you get to carry the story arc across you get to carry the story arc across and you're going to see this play out in a quite an interesting way this 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 it's it's a it's our best immersion of law into into gameplay and product design yet uh, to continue that arc across and carrying the arc from 
then us dig into what happens in 2023 is also pretty hot. So like we're getting a lot better at integrating story arc into product. And I think that players are going to love it. Um, and that's your hot take. That's my hot take. So name. Well, ta- done. What was it called? You have to go back and watch your video. Oh, uh, Dynasty. You, you just is it, like, di- is you it Dynasty? It. You missed it. I got you. I did. I was just so intrigued. I, in my head, like the one thing that got honestly just rapid fire, just full on Legolist the whole way through was what's the next hero? What's the next hero? What class is the next hero? And I'm like, guys, I don't think I don't like I've been trying to squeeze this out of James like forever. And I don't think he's going to relent here at uh, at how steadfast he is, unless you just want to drop a, a, you know, a hot take on us here and tell us what one of the next heroes is going to be like, what class. But maybe. Oh, no. <laughs> well, your turn. Yeah, I know. I know. Patience. Back on the show. Then maybe we'll talk about it. Deal. All right. That's uh, that's a uh, we'll lock that one in. James, thank you so so much for everything, my friend. Get some rest, you're brother. Welcome, uh, you're awesome, and uh, more so than just obviously like, thank you for the game. But honestly, thank you again for just being a good dude and and, and your friendship and everything because it does sincerely mean a lot to me and and to everybody out there. Everybody. And uh, we'll 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 definitely talk soon, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. James White on the Instant Speed Podcast, and we'll definitely do this again soon. Thank you, man, and see you in Leo. Looking forward to it. Damn right. Friends, don't forget, you are not losing if you're learning, so keep playing the game. We'll see you next time on the Instant Speed Podcast. Whoa.